start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. Well, hello and welcome to another glorious edition of the Jay Allen Show. Well, thank you for coming back and taking a listen to what we have going on here. It is always a grand time especially when I know you've turned on the radio station or the podcast to take a listen one more time to what we have going on here on the Jay Allen Show. Well, hopefully you're off to a fantastic week so far. I know things keep on changing in this dynamic world of ours, so I hope things are fine and well in your neck of the woods. Today we have the actual great opportunity to sit down with someone who I've never spoken with before. And let me tell you a little bit about him. I get to speak with David P. Perodin, PhD. He is the wrangler of nonlinear things that are impossible to predict or control. He's an author, researcher, professor, and host of the Safety Doc podcast. David earned a Doctor of Philosophy degree in educational leadership and policy analysis from the University of Wisconsin-Madison where he researched high-stakes safety decisions in education, healthcare, and military. He delivered two school safety presentations on Wisconsin public television and also wrote and directed a film about school safety. Dr. Perodin's work has been published in a number of journals, and he has frequently interviewed by the media about safety topics. David is the author of The School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America. He is currently writing a book titled The Velocity of Information, Making Sense During Chaotic Times. And David is an avid long-distance cyclist, so there's something about him that you probably did not know before we get it started. And then before I forget, Dr. David Perodin claims that he has America's top safety show. (laughs) Yeah, I chuckled too when I heard it, but I think it's worth sharing. I mean, you have to be self-proclaimed at something, and that's the self-proclaiming thing. We get into that during the conversation. So hopefully you'll take a listen here. So let me not drag on too much, and let's get this started with a conversation between David Perodin and George Struley right here on The Jay Allen Show. So I'll I'll tell you, um, I reached out to you. I found your stuff online. I was definitely interested on having you coming on to the show. Uh, This particular one, I will tell you, this will do, we'll end up doing more of a podcast style. So this one will get released into the podcast before we actually release it into our radio station aspect. But I, there's so many questions that I wanted to ask and I don't even know where to start to be quite honest with you. Okay. So 
So as I looked at everything you have going on, how did you get started in the world of safety? What intrigued you about it? Why did you say, this is the path that I'm going to go down with my career? Yeah, I, I track that back to when I was uh, a kid sleeping in my bed, you know, maybe six, seven years old and a uh, small town in, in Wisconsin. Um, how they would notify the fire department is they would do a siren. Um, so they would, they would ring this, this siren, uh, you know, maybe eight or 10 times. And then the firefighters would get down to the fire station, trucks would get out. And every time I heard the siren, I would run out of my house, run to the end of the block. And I had a clear view down to the fire station and I would just wait for the firefighters to arrive. I could tell by the, if they had to ring the siren again, whether it was a in town or out of town fire um, count the trucks going out. I knew it. And the tanker truck went out. That was an out of town fire. So it, it, it just got to be this, this interest, right. When I was, when I was young, um, and the more I took on different, uh, leadership roles, uh, there's always a question of, well, who wants to do safety? And not a lot of hands go up <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I, I do because I, I have a, an interest in how uh, systems work, how people react under stress. I also feel that, you know, I'm very thorough. Um, I'm a very um, confident presenter and I, I can make people feel confident in situations, um, you know, which can be chaotic. So it's been, it's been a really um, natural fit from, from little on. Okay, so you're telling me essentially then you're trying to get even with the fire department for waking you up early when you were a child. I loved it. I loved it, Jay. <laughs> I couldn't get enough of it. Especially, I mean, it, it could be, you know, two in the morning and I could hear that first, you know, the siren just starting and I would just rock it out of my bed and, and the door would, you know, fly open to the house. You know, this is back in the 70s, you know, so um, a screen door bangs and I'm just <laughs> down the road and just standing there in my pajamas at the at the corner, you know, waiting. So, um so yeah, no, I, I, I miss that actually, you know, they don't do that anymore. Now it's all, it's all pagers. So these, these sirens. If you're lucky, you get the lights, but you really have to be paying close attention because at least if you're in a neighborhood before they actually start the whole thing off, but I'm sure you're already aware of that. Yeah. So, so when you start doing this and you say that you're going to look, let's say for instance, into safety, what exactly are you looking into first? Because you said it's the seventies. So as you are aware during this time frame. There's not a lot of, let's say, quote unquote, safety practices when you go to college. So what do you what do you look for as you know that this is what you want to go into? Right. So I started, um, you know, one of my first jobs was working at a pool. So we had a, a new indoor pool open at our town. And then I was immersed in safety procedures for, you know, what happens, you know, if there's an incident at the pool, for example, and then also what would you know, we're training people to respond, you know, to how would you respond if you were near a river, somebody capsizing a canoe, things like that. So, you know, I had these these early type experiences. When I when I got to college, um, I needed to fill my schedule out. <laughs> and it just, it just happened that the university I went to offered firefighting um, as an option. You know, they would teach you, you know, firefighting, you know, one and and. Um, you could become certified as a firefighter. So I, I, I took that, I enrolled, um, and absolutely loved it. Right. Soaked up everything, just studied and, 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 and that is, um, you know, that was really the professional step then into understanding instant command systems, how multiple agencies work together, 
uh, personally, you know, my own um, self-awareness and responsibility uh, to be on a scene and, and things like that. So I got to work with um, some phenomenal people, you know, at a very early time in my in my life. So so, yeah, you know, part of it is I needed I needed the classes and um, it worked out. It's kind of funny how sometimes how class credits end up turning into something that you don't see at that particular time, right? <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, it, it was so funny because yeah, my my roommates are like, "You're doing what?" I'm like, "Yeah, there's this there's this option now to to do this." So, um, but yeah, it, and it was it was awesome, but also I struggled in one area, Jay. I could not read a plat book. So a, a plat book, um, you know, you open it up and it'll it'll have. Uh, sections of land. So if there's a fire out in a woods or something like that, you'd have to be be able to read this plat book and coordinate roads. I could never. Well, do well, that. Hold, hold on, you're you're dating yourself now. Now the audience <laughs> well, going know. to know that GPS did not exist well, at the time. Well, GPS saved me, right? I mean, so so yeah. I mean, GPS came along and, and got me back in the game. But but otherwise, I'm like I I just I couldn't get it. It was it was one of those um, Achilles heels for me. But. But yeah, that's where you know obviously technology um, I think has opened accessibility for um, for firefighting and for safety for um, some people that had to interface with these kind of old school, more complicated systems. Well, I always look at it. It's always a good thing to be able to read like an atlas and things along those lines because I always think the technology is great until the moment that it fails you because then once it kind of goes haywire, then no one really knows what to do. Because think about it. I mean, think about it when you were a child on how you used to probably memorize some of your friends' phone numbers, maybe your parents and so on, and how different of a world we are in right now, using that as a small example of, you just go, oh, I have a contact list and that's it. But if you were to lose that phone and nothing's backed up, what is that going to look like? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, redundancy in systems. And that's, you bring up a a terrific point because the book I'm writing at the moment, the velocity of information, um, a, a section talks about uh, cognitive offloading, or meaning that, you know, today we we basically put about thirty percent of our, you know, kind of think about it of our of our brains it, into the cloud. So you know, instead of having to remember what to do if there's a bomb threat or something, we just we just know we have to go to like a checklist or an app now, an app on our phone, and it would tell us what to do if we were at a, a school or a company or something like that. And, um, you know, there are pluses to cognitive offloading, right? An AED in a hallway in a public building. You just need to know to get to the AED. Once you open up and use use it, it will tell you, you know, put the pads on on this part of the person, wait for these colors, press this button and so forth. But, um, But we are increasing every year the amount of information we're not storing in our minds, in our brains, that we're storing out on the web, out on the cloud. And as you said, when it goes down, which uh, a good example was, uh, you know, the Fukushima earthquake in Japan in 2011. Um, really, it, it, sounds like, it sounds like you might have, might have been listening to my show recently. I listened I had um, Dr. David or Dr. Charles Castro on, and he, that's actually the one that he was out doing in person. So I yeah. just think that, that you mentioning it was kind of interesting. Yeah. But he, but you jump to your you jump to your newest book, the one that you're writing. You, we skipped entirely over School of Errors. <laughs> I mean, there, there's so so much stuff to talk about. So let me kind of jump in and talk about a lot of the things that you have going on because I want to have an understanding of it. So you have the safety doc. That's one of the one of the components of what you have. And then what I I, I find the tagline interesting and I want to understand it. Doctor David Peroden, 
America's Top Safety Show. Tell me how you came about with this. Right. So <laughs> now, yeah. it, it, now, did somebody else give you this or did you, is this self-imposed? I, I, I'll take it whichever way you give it to right. me. That was actually my, my website designer a few years ago. Now, <laughs> uh, you know, there are so many uh, outstanding, you know, safety professionals. I mean, including you, Jay, right? I mean, there's, oh, thank when, you. when you get into the community, you know, to, to make a claim that you have the best safety show, I would say in the realm of school and community safety, um, yeah, you know, um, you know, my, my work, you know, certainly, certainly has a strong footing in those areas. So, um, so yeah, I guess as far as top, maybe I have the, the best, uh, the best intro and the, and kind of the best, uh, <laughs> best oh, leveling of audio or something like that, but no, it's, it, but I've, I've done 153 shows and most of those are interviews. I always produce everything in video audio yeah. and then do a 5,000 character blog post, which takes maybe like three, four minutes to read. So I, I've, you know, if someone, somebody actually contacted me and said, I found your show. I'm a safety ex, a school safety um, supervisor in California. And I have uh, listened to all of your shows. It took me eight days. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Like those are eight days. You'll never get back. But, um, <laughs> but, but no, I mean, I appreciate it. And, and they would point things out and then they would ask follow-up questions of when you interviewed this person or the, um, you know, a, a rescue, if a student with autism, for example, wandered from a school and you needed to uh, bring in additional resources. You know, I, I brought up questions like it. At what point would you, as an administrator, say we, we're not going to allow a, a neighbor with a drone to come on scene and try to participate in this rescue, quote unquote, because they're not part of our system per our our handbook or our, our guidelines for how we would conduct a search and rescue if a student wandered from a school. So these are the questions that people need to think about. And they do. Like they're, they're like, we never thought about that. We've modified um, our practices because of what you shared. So I, it's amazing uh, to be contacted, you know, by people all over the world. And, and when they find the content, um, it, it, it seems to definitely have parts that they'll be like, I went through this or I had this question. I interviewed a man, David Hyde, uh, blind from birth, and he worked at a prison. And um, he talked about how when they had fire drills, he needed to lift his guide dog up a ladder and out onto a roof. And then they would be um, somehow from there, they would get out to a perimeter. But I mean, this was an amazing story, right? I mean, so uh, I, I think I've been able to have access to people with very unique stories. I interviewed a, a crab boat, um, a crab boat deckhand who yeah, that, was, that, that was a pretty recent episode. It was. It, and, I, and I'm talking um, with him. He there's a chapter in, in my current book where or he's going to contribute to that. We've done a few interviews. Um, so this is you know, this is the part of school and community safety where I was real heavy into school safety and still am. I mean, very, very um, committed to that. But I got better when I started to look at other um, industries of safety and people who had been through other safety experiences. So we talked about the crab boat um, worker. He was on a crab boat for 122 days and I'm asking him, you know, how what was that like? He's like, every moment was terrifying. You know, like a 60 foot swell would hit the boat. Um, these refrigerator sized chunks of ice would fly over the deck. And if it hit you, <laughs> you're dead, right? I mean, it's the number one most deadliest job per the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So, so I'm asking him like, how did you stay safe? And he said, it's really the skipper. I mean, the skipper has to be watching what's going on. They would sound a horn 
you'd have like six seconds to respond, like to secure yourself onto something and all this stuff. So there's also an interesting way to look at that. Like right now, you know, who's the skipper for kids um, in school or like if they're in a home environment being educated, who's the one looking out for them? Uh, So, you know, there's so much that you can learn from other people. I mean, it was funny when I did my, I did my dissertation at UW-Madison and I studied um, high stakes decision-making in the military, in healthcare and in schools. And my advisor, we, we were sitting down having a conversation and I'm, I'm going through my big you know, list of citations, which is part of a dissertation. You have all these people that you, experts in different areas that you're referencing. And he looked at me and he said, well, this person is still alive. Like, why don't you just call them and ask them to clarify what they meant by this, this study? <laughs> and it was the first time I, I, I sat there and I'm like, well, yeah. Um, so it was, I started to reach out to people, you know, at different universities, different whatever, and, and they were thrilled. Uh, when I wrote School of Airs, I reached out to Dr. Paul Rapp, head of military medicine. I mean, just an amazing um, career. And he still is working. I mean, Paul, I, I watched Paul on PBS, a Nova special about chaos when I was in high school. <laughs> and, mm. and, you know, he's a, Paul is, is incredible. And and I reached out and, you know, a day later he responds and, you know, Paul, Paul had a significant influence on, on, you know, what I, what I wrote in school of airs. So another part of, of safety I learned is find the people who do safety. You know, if you're interested, you read, you see somebody on TV, you know, they're real people, right? Jay, I mean, go out and email them, call them. And a lot of times they're going to be excited that someone is interesting. You know, in <laughs> yeah, that's, that's funny that you mentioned that because I've actually come to that realization. I'd, I've done a lot of um, investigation stuff related to how the Department of Energy came up with the human and organizational performance. And I went and looked for the original founders of actually who came up with some of the concepts. And they were so excited to talk to people yes. about coming up with those concepts. It, I don't know if I was more giddy on the phone than they were because it was this kind of weird. I was like, you should be excited about talking to me. I'm excited about talking to you. But at least that was my concept. So let me ask the question then. So as you're doing your dissertation and you decide to make that one phone call, is this what kind of gives you the catalyst to move forward of doing your podcast? Is this where you say, okay, this could be something that I could that I could actually put in in a tangible format that other people might want to listen to? Yeah, well, Jay, that's a that's a great question. So, you know, so how did the podcast get started? Um, I I I began doing um, expert witness um, work, legal work. After 2013, I was on um, PBS. I had a 78 minute special on PBS following the Sandy Hook, um, uh, you know, uh, school shooting in December of 2013. 12. So it was May then of the following year, 2013. It, isn't that, isn't that strange? looking back that it's already been nine years. It doesn't seem like that long ago in my brain. I know. I know. I, I, I agree. And, and, you know, I, and also I know many of the families uh, from, um, you know, Sandy Hook and from Parkland and Columbine, very close. I mean, you know, I have numbers in my phone, you know, cell phone numbers, um, families that I continue to, 
to talk with, continue to be informed. This is The Jay Allen Show. We all want to make sure that our family is protected in medical emergencies. What many of us don't realize is that health insurance won't always cover the full amount of an emergency medical flight. Even with comprehensive coverage, you could get hit with high deductibles and co-pays. That's why an Air MedCare Network membership is so important. As a member... If an emergency arises, you won't see a bill for air medical transport when flown by an AMCN provider. Best of all, a membership covers your entire household for as little as $85 a year. AMCN providers are called upon to transport nearly 100,000 patients a year. This is coverage no family should go without. Now, as a Jay Allen Show listener, you'll get up to a $50 e-gift card with a new membership. Simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com slash safety and use the offer code safety. And don't forget to tell them that Jay Allen sent you. And we are back on the Jay Allen Show on Safety FM. You decide to drop episode 121 which you have it titled as coronavirus versus 9-11 what we got right in 2001 and what yeah. we got wrong in 2020 yeah. are we talking the same timeline here or are we talking a little bit before or a little bit after right i remember when i did that episode so with 9-11 um i i understood 9-11 from um different angles than the general public because when I wrote School of Airs, I contacted New York City and asked if I could work with their Department of City Planning to get information to inform the book, which I thought they would say no. <laughs> I'm like, you know, what's going? You know, I had to fill out this big form and all of this, and and it said like, when you need this, buy it. It's like as soon as possible. And like three days later, they contact me and said, yeah, we'll work with you on this, which blew me out of out of the water. Like I'm like, I can't believe it. So they had one person. Um, assigned to me, I, I gave her credit, Yvette Clergine, in in the book, and she was finding all of these things that I wanted. Um, so one of the, one of the things that really stood out with nine eleven was immediate communication, right? Rudy Giuliani, um, you know, city officials re, uh, initially saying, "Here's what we know." Uh, just a, you know, a couple hours after the the first attack, um, is it progressed throughout the day on September eleventh? And then they did a great job of saying, of recapping what they had said earlier. And from a communication standpoint, it was very, uh, very clear and redundant, um, but not overwhelming. It, like, you know, these concise scheduled press conferences. We didn't see that at all with COVID. It was, it, we didn't see that type of coordinated effort. I mean, we did see like some White House, you know, press conferences and, and things like that, but um, it didn't at all have the coordinated immediate um, rollout that was observed on September 11th. So, and I think, and I think that was a huge, um, I guess a huge lost opportunity for how the country uh, could have been informed about um, what was happening with coronavirus. Um, also what people, you know, could have done personally to position themselves in, in the best um, you know, places that they could be, but, um, but yeah, it's amazing how efficient the nine 11 communication, um, was, and, and that's pretty well documented. And in, in some areas too, if you, you go back and run the timelines of how the first and what was running, you know, which trains were running, which wasn't what had power, what didn't. And, um, it was, it just was really, really well done. 
You, I have to tell you, you magnificently avoided my question. You know that, right? Because <laughs> I, when was the timeline on when you released the episode? That's what I'm trying to figure when out. When did I release that episode? Because it says that it was roughly around the 11th of March. So had you already done all this this searching of when you went out and did the different things with your daughter and checking the schools and the different environment? That's what I'm trying to figure out. I mean, I, I appreciate the information about the study, but I'm just trying to figure out timeline-wise. We we did. Um, we had... So I'm going back and looking at the the timeline of my 13 videos. I, I had two videos done at that time. Now, these aren't public videos, um, okay. these, these information check videos, because I knew that I would be using these later um, to harvest from them as I assembled the book that I'm writing right now. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, I had two videos completed at that time. And I started right away at, um, you know, the right away the first week of March, I started to carefully observe what was happening on the news and also, you know, assembling my, my member checks. So what I was watching our local news out of Madison, Wisconsin, you know, a, a substantial, um, you know, uh, media center, you know, they were behind, they were behind one week from what the feds were saying. And it was also weird because like our state had closed a lot of stuff down yet the commercials would still be on TV. If like, you know, come to this event at, you know, the overture center or whatever. And it'd be like, that's been closed down three days. I mean, um, so, so you could also see this, this, this lag, this disconnect. Um, so when I'm out there sampling and, and also I'm sampling, I'm watching what's happening on TV. I'm listening to what's happening on the radio, what's being conveyed out for information. And that it took, um, I, I think also with, with nine 11, we had a very close um, time frame where local information and federal information um, was was aligned. I mean, it, pretty much there wasn't a gap. Like it didn't take a week later for kind of your local news to to tell you, you know, what was what was happening. I mean, um, so yeah, this this weird this weird gap. Local news reporters, and I talked to a few of them, they're like, we didn't know what a ventilator was. We didn't know. I mean, we didn't know what to present. They're not, they weren't interviewing teachers, even though schools were closed, because they, they didn't know what questions really to ask. Like, how long is this going to last? What do you do now? And um, so, so yeah, I had, I had conducted a few of those. And then right away, I could see like, wow, the, the way that this is being, there's nobody in charge of communication, Jay. So it's just, it's a scatter of communication. My current book, The Velocity of Information, Velocity is speed in a direction. So with coronavirus, we had a lot of information just like launched into the air without any velocity. It was just there. And if it, if it hit you, it did, but it was just to get it out there where 9-11 had velocity to it. It was very direct, you know, to the people in whether it be New York or whether it be people in other states or people using airlines and things like that. It's very direct, very fast. That It wasn't that way at all with COVID. You know, you still didn't answer my question, but that's fine. I'll, I'll <laughs> run with that then. So, with, I mean, I'm just trying to figure out timeline because I know that a lot of us kind of went out with the information early. So that's the only reason I'm trying to figure it out. Do you figure that you were doing the comparisons too early into what was going on? Um, you can say no. You can say yes, or just tell me you don't want to answer the question, and I'm cool with that. I'm not going to pound you to death in regards to trying to get the yeah, answer. I'm, tr I'm <laughs> trying to go back into uh, forensically and to look at when I was getting information from from different people. Um, I will say, like I, I, I did. I mean, I didn't know exactly 
I don't think any of us do. (laughs) Right. I I anticipate, I thought with Disney, for example, up until like a week before, I think we were supposed to leave like the 17th or something of March for Disney. I thought we would still be able to go. And and I had some contingencies. Okay, who do we know who's down there who has a vehicle that we could borrow if we had to get back or something? But I didn't see all the shutting down. And I had a friend in the intelligence community um, overseas and I was talking with him daily and I said, what do you see? Like, do you think this is? And he's like, yeah, no, I don't think it's going to get to this level in the United States. And suddenly it did. So the people I was, I was, was talking with, I, 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 I think again, it was very unclear for the member checks um, of what was happening. Like my member check that, that worked end of February um, in Pittsburgh uh, university, Pittsburgh medical said, we're starting to um, acquire much more space for patients. You know, like we're clearing out buildings that are ancillary next to us, stuff like that. And, so that was the information I was I was getting from him. But then they didn't have more patients, but he was getting these requests like, you need to get every iPad, every smart device, every tablet, whatever, because we're going to ramp up telemedicine. So like, you know, telemedicine explodes by like 10 times in, you know, a week where he's at. Um, so, so yeah, I guess it it's, you know, a lot of those videos too, Jay, those were the first live stream videos I did ever. Usually I would, I would, I put together show notes. I would record a show. I would edit a show and then I'd release a show. And I was getting so much um, contact from my member checks and just people in general would call me up because they know I'm, you know, into safety. Right. And they'd say like, what's going on, what's going on. And so, yeah, those were actually the first live streams where I had an audience. So I'm also responding to people in their questions during those. Um, so that, those were successful, but it was also, yeah, new a new way for me to interact with my, um, I guess, followers in my safety audience. Um, so I, I was trying to be as real as I could. And I, I did have some information about the, the schools closing down in my state ahead of everybody else. Um, so I was, you know, I was kind of functioning with a little bit of insider, you know, information on Right. And, and, and of course, that's what people are looking for at the time. And I still, still this day, they're probably still looking for it. If you have something that is not public knowledge right. that you might be able to give us insight to. So I have a question. If people want to know more information about you, where can they find out? Yeah. Um, safetyphd.com is my website. And every blog post I've ever made is on, on the site. And it does link out then to my YouTube um, channel and, and Podbean a few of my articles, but yeah, if they go there, they'd be able also to find the link to school of airs, um, um, rethinking school safety in America, which was released in August of 2019. Um, can, uh, obviously like Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I mean, I think I tell people, where can you get it? <laughs> I'm like places that sell books. It's not that hard to get. It's not like, in, although it, it's banned in Germany, it, it is not allowed in Germany. Um, and I, I think there are some, there's one chapter specifically. It's nothing to do with Germany, but it has to do with policy. Well, David, I appreciate you coming on to the show. Jay, it is, it's been my pleasure. Uh, thank you so much. Love your show. Love your guests. Thank you for your work and safety. Well, this is going to bring another episode of the Jay Allen Show to an end. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Dr. David Perodin as much as I did. Anyways, if you want to find out more information of what we have going on, go to safetyfm.com. Of course, you can always gather more information about what's going on inside of the radio station, the podcast network, and the multitude of shows that we have available. 
Thank you for always being the best part of Safety FM, and that is the listener. Safety FM is the home of real safety talk. Without you, we can't do what we do here. Thank you, and move forward. We'll be back with another episode of The Jay Allen Show before too long. Goodbye for now. I'll see you real soon. Want more of The Jay Allen Show? Go to safetyfm.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 440 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case. And you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.